Hi, you're listening to Global Skycast, the show that brings you all of the most up-to-date aviation news, interviews, and insight from around the world. Good afternoon and welcome to another Global Skycast. My name is Olu Davis. I'm the editor-in-chief here at Global Sky Media. And I'm delighted today to be joined by two of the finest people from Safran's helicopter divisions, Valerie Petuel, who is the managing director from Safran Helicopter Engines Asia, and also uh, Jean-Baptiste Jarin, who is the head of sustainable fuel at Safran Helicopter Engines. Valerie, Jean-Baptiste, how are you? Thank you for joining us today. Very well, thank you. Good to give us a chance and to be with you, Alu, today. Perfect, thank you. And actually, you're joining us today, uh, the day after a fairly momentous occasion, actually, when I believe it was the first helicopter to fly in Southeast Asia using sustainable aviation fuel. Yes, that's correct, uh, Alude. A key milestone for us, for Safran, the whole uh, aviation community in, in the Singaporean sky. Yes, indeed, uh, of the 505 helicopter from Bell, uh, powered by our RU2R Safran engine. Uh, flew with uh, sustainable aviation fuel uh, yesterday morning. So very uh, key milestone uh, for all of us in uh, in aviation. Perfect. And so I'd, I, I do want to touch on that, or I don't want to talk about that a little bit later, if that's okay. But I wanted to start, first of all, by sort of going into the reasons why this is important. So obviously saving the environment as a whole is important. But I was just wondering if you could sort of explain maybe to people who don't realise what the impact of the helicopter industry on CO2 emissions is, and of course, the need there for sustainability. Yes, well, well, thank you indeed. It's very important that we put back into context and and explaining the reason why it it was a key event and and, and we were delighted to contribute. I think, as you said, before any discussion about sustainable aviation fuel that we will call later SAF during, I think, our conversation to make it easier, it's necessary to put into context the sustainability and the impact of the aviation sector. And maybe not as everybody is aware exactly of, of what we are talking about. So just allow me to, uh, to give some insight. In order to be aligned with the Paris Agreement targets of limiting global surface temperature warning below 2, two degrees, the IATA 77 annual general meeting approved a resolution for the global air transport industry, which aim for all of us to achieve a net zero carbon emission by 2050. While it sounds natural that aviation, which is often seen as a major contributor to climate change, take this step, we all have to, to understand that, in fact, commercial air transport accounts for only 3% of the global CO2 emissions. And if we zoom down towards the, the helicopter itself, the proportion is, is even lower. But, but uh, nevertheless, in spite of that, since 2021, Safran as a group has shown its commitment towards fighting the climate change for the benefits of all of us and joined the Air Transport Action Group in committing to the goal of net zero carbon emission by 2050. So what we've done yesterday in Singapore is to contribute and is a visible step towards this goal. Absolutely. You mentioned the Paris Agreement earlier on and presumably this uh, the flight demonstration yesterday, as you mentioned, was part of that. But I think you actually uh, recently released a roadmap as well, which sets out how you're going to get to that stage, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. So to make it, uh, you, you know, you really to have a plan, not to have a words only, but to have a plan towards this goal. Uh, you're probably referring to the fact that we have developed our corporate social responsibility strategy for Safran that is shared with uh, all of us as employees, but also we all our stakeholders. And uh, this uh, uh, corporate social responsibility strategy 
lays out the foundations, obviously, but also the, the detailed action plans to meet these uh, um, very ambitious uh, targets. Uh, they include steps to curb, uh, obviously, the carbon emissions from our daily operations, but also targets such as, just to give an example, maybe to illustrate, all of us have to, uh, to reduce our emissions. So all our operational sites around the world uh, by 30% between 2018 and 2025. And me, for instance, I'm, I'm the head of uh, a Singapore site in Teleta. To contribute to that, concretely speaking, we had uh, installed solar panels that are up and running since a few months already uh, on our rooftop to reduce uh, our scope to emissions. And yes, apart from that, even in the wider value chain of our business, generally speaking, we are working with our suppliers, uh, our stakeholders to bring them on board, to align them with our corporate strategy to reduce COP3 emissions. And last but not least, our core business is obviously about uh, propulsion technology. Uh, Safran is a key player in that aspect. And naturally speaking, uh, part of our corporate social responsibility strategy is to help overall the aviation industry to achieve uh, this uh, very ambition uh, carbon neutrality through research and technology when it comes to our products and, and I would say in that case to our engine. Absolutely. We hear a lot about SAF. SAF's very much in the news all of the time at the moment. And of course, you don't need to make any modifications to existing engines to be able to accept uh, certainly the current uh, sort of 50-50 blend of SAF that's, that's, that's around at the moment. But that doesn't mean that that's where the sustainability effort stops, does it? Because for people like you, the engine manufacturers, there is more that you could do to make your engines more efficient, more ultra-efficient, if you like. Yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll explain a bit on that. Um, basically, you are referring to our research and technology and what we are having. And um, of course, we have the SAF, and perhaps uh, later we will discuss about our, our roadmap for that and how we plan to achieve 100% of SAF in our engines in the coming years. Uh, but as of today, we are an engine manufacturer, and so our DNA is efficiency. And basically, the best energy is the one you don't use. So we need to make sure that um, the uh, technology we will bring to the market in the coming years will offer more and more efficient engines. So we keep working, and basically, we spend lots of our energy on that to have ultra-efficient engines, so to make sure that the next generation will basically consume minus 20% compared to the existing generation. We do that in working on materials. Uh, we also do that in working on hybrid electric. Uh, that's the second lever we have for that. To, the objective there is to gain an efficiency and then to get the opportunity to introduce an energy vector, which is the electricity, and we will see for the storage, but which could have a lower carbon footprint than the fossil. And the third lever, uh, I'll come back on it, is the staff. Because sustainable aviation fuels, when we work with the proper uh, biomass, or the proper pathways for the power to liquids, uh, we can achieve a significant reduction in emissions. We talk about minus 80, minus 90% in some occasions, and that technology is available now. We know it's expensive, but in the future, there won't be any kind of energy which will be inexpensive. So we just need to make sure, and in our plan, not only we work in research and technology, but we immediately apply to ourselves what we are working on. I could give two examples. The first one is, is applied uh, in Singapore, and we have had some others the past few months in Europe and North America. The objective for us is to demonstrate to the market, to the operator, that it's feasible. It's not easy, but it's feasible, it's doable. And we also apply to ourselves in our test cells, because every time we develop an engine, we have extensive 
uh, runs. Every time we deliver a new engine, it's being tested in our test cell. So we are a massive user of fuel. And in our test cell, uh, for example, in Europe, we have blend up to 30%, which is already in place, for example, in the UK and also in France. And you mentioned hybrid electric, and I'm sure there's lots of research being done around other technologies as well, including maybe hydrogen fuel cells. We are looking at that as well, of course. The, um, where we are now, we believe that for the helicopter industry, the hydrogen would, could have a better usage, which is in the power-to-liquid route, or basically e-fuels or electrofuels, because the yields associated to the manufacturing of the hydrogen coupled to the uh, implementation of hydrogen tanks and fuel cell into a, a helicopter, which is a very tiny, small machine. And perhaps you know that hydrogen is, is good in terms of weight density, but in terms of volume density, it's worse than fuel, than, than kerosene that we use today. And so um, our work today means that we have it in our past, but we believe clearly that the power to liquid route will be more efficient if uh, hydrogen is available in the future in terms of volume and price, of course. And so I, th- I think we've set up why yesterday's flight was was so important and the potential impact that it could have. Can you just sort of talk more about what actually happened yesterday, why it was important, who came, who, who you sort of arranged the, the flight with? Yes, of course. So um, as Jean-Baptiste was mentioning, there are obstacles uh, along the way, so the availability of SAF, the cost of SAF. But uh, the last one, and, and maybe the most important, is the take-up rate. So um, we have to demonstrate to the stakeholder, sometimes to the OEM, so to the uh, the aircraft manufacturer, the helicopter manufacturer, that uh, SAF is widely available and it's doable to use SAF today. And we want to encourage the overall ecosystem to make it happen. So yes, the fact is, in, in reality, even though SAF is, is not a new nor an unproven technology, eh? very few operators in, in the world, whether they are helicopter operators or aircraft operators, and even some OEMs, I have said, do not understand it well enough. And um, we have uh, still many operators, indeed many of our, our clients, who still express their apprehensiveness towards the usage of, of SAF. They will, uh, their, their, their reaction or their thoughts, uh, their belief would be that maybe they have to perform special maintenance uh, that maybe the usage of SAS versus traditional fuel will damage their equipment, uh, will damage their helicopter, will damage our engine, their engines. So we did that to show that indeed it's, it's a misunderstanding and, and we want to, to show uh, by proving it, by being visible that uh, you, you can use SAS tomorrow. Our turbine has been designed uh, a long time ago to run with SAS uh, without any, any impact. And uh, Jean-Baptiste, correct me if I'm wrong, up to 50%. And we are assessing the possibility to fly 100%. So it's really uh, being able to show to the world, uh, to show to the stakeholders and to motivate uh, the overall ecosystem that it, it's doable. So, so yesterday, we partner with, uh, obviously, uh, an helicopter manufacturer. We partner with, uh, with a SAF provider, uh, Nesty, and Bell on the helicopter side. And uh, us, Safran, as being uh, the, the recipient from our engine of this, uh, of this uh, biofuel. We invited uh, many stakeholders from uh, based in Singapore, from Singaporean uh, entities, but also representative from the regulatory authorities of Singapore, Ministry of Transport, uh, EDB, and some French stakeholders, Canadian stakeholders. Uh, so as many people as we can, uh, basically, to raise their awareness 
and, and to show that uh, it can happen. It, there, there are obstacles around the, along the road, but it's our duty uh, to overrun them and to make sure it happens because, as Jean-Baptiste explained, it's the main uh, leverage for us to, to reduce our footprint and to, to work towards a sustainable aviation. Um, we've heard a lot about SAD from other parts of the world. We don't, we don't really hear about it too much in Asia. Is that because of the, uh, there are availability issues? Is it easy? I mean, in Singapore, where you at Selatar yesterday, where you did the flight, would SAD be readily available? Yeah, in fact, you're correct. The uh, geography plays a role because um, SAD is available. Still, the quantities are, are, are narrow. It's approximately 0.1% of the jet fuel quantity uh, that we are using today. And it's true that, in fact, uh, the plants are currently mainly in Europe and some occurring in, in North America, but that's because of the regulation, in fact, which uh, set the framework. That regulation doesn't exist yet in, in Asia, but that's why also the uh, demonstration yesterday is so important, is that you don't need to have a regulation. You can have a will and you can prove uh, that we can do it. And, and the partnership mentioned by Valérie is, um, is key. Uh, Bell is a, is, a, is a very significant player, and we work on, on several demos uh, uh, for that. But Nesty, which is a SAP provider, plays also a crucial role in that. And um, Nesty, in fact, will open the first SAP plant, which will be operational in Singapore uh, next year. And, and so uh, that's why it's important to work uh, with the SAP supplier. In the past, it's not something we were used to. Nobody ever asked where the fuel is coming from or who even manufactured it. When you fill your helicopter, you never had those questions. Uh, tomorrow with the SAP, for many reasons, we will need to be clear on that uh, because is the SAP really sustainable? Where was it produced? What is the CO2 content? Because each SAP is different. And to have a SAP provider in Southeast Asia is key in our will to uh, basically push our industry to move in that direction. So, so we are uh, we think that Asia will catch up. Uh, the regulatory framework is, is more challenging because ASEAN is not Europe or is not North America. So uh, maybe the, the alignment of policy or the alignment of incentives or, or regulatory framework would be more difficult to establish, but never mind. As, as, as Jean-Baptiste said, the will is there and the need, and more importantly, is there. So it's up to us to, to do whatever we can uh, to make it happen. You both mentioned regulations just now, which part of this puzzle needs to be regulated? Is it the fuel itself? Is it is it the engines and the helicopter that need to be recertificated? Um, no, it, when I mention regulation, it's not regarding the technical aspect of things. In fact, when we say our engines can run up with 50% blend staff, it's not only our engines, it's all the engines, all helicopters, planes, all over the world, uh, because we have... Uh, I would say a working group and a, and a norm which applies worldwide, which is the ASTM. And then we have for the A1, the 1655, for the 75666, and so on. We have that framework. And basically, when we say the SAF is available, it's because technically it works. And so we make sure that for the operators, he doesn't even know that uh, he has staff because the behavior is exactly the same. And that's also the, the objective of the demo we had yesterday. Um, when we mention regulation is what we have noticed is that basically biofuel exists in cars for three decades, but it's not that, I would say, uh, well known in the aerospace industry and mainly in the helicopter industry, which is a very tiny industry. And so the regulation in Europe and North America, what we see 
is there not to deal with the technical aspect because that's that's fine. It's working on the offer and demand because basically for the past 10 years, we want staff. Okay, but uh, are you sure you want staff? It's more expensive. So are we uh, for um, a staff producer, am I going to invest in a plant if uh, the market is not there yet? And so what the regulation does now is that it sets what we call incorporation mandate. So basically it sets a path for Europe, for example, it is mandatory for all operators and for the producers of fuel to have a certain blend of staff from 2025 to 2050. And the path is clear. It will be approximately 10% in 2030 because there is still a balance on that. And the objective for 2050 will be uh, above 63%. So this is how the regulation framework is. And so it's mandatory. What we are underlying for, for Southeast Asia is that today, first, uh, Europe has a chance to basically to, to have 500 million people working under the same regulation. Uh, you have many different countries in Southeast Asia, but we see uh, some countries, including Singapore, including China, who are looking what's happening in Europe and, and, and which plans to have some regulation associated to it. But what's more important and, and what gives hope is that uh, there is a will to do it, despite the regulation is not yet in place. Uh, that comes from Nesti, who is opening a, a plant which will be one of the biggest sustainable aviation fuel plants in the world, so which will be commissioned in next year. And that's the case for Safran and, and also for Bell, but that's the case for others like Airbus, to demonstrate that South Asia is following the pace and is willing to do its share in, in, in the climate change fight. Perfect. I wanted to just uh, round out the conversation by asking you about other regions as well. So we've talked a lot about what Safran's doing in Southeast Asia, but I wonder if you could talk for, for a little bit about what Safran's doing in other parts of the world as well. Well, in fact, SAP is, uh, as I mentioned, biofuel are approximately 30 years old. SAP are mainly available since a few years. So that's quite a new topic. And, and we are running fast, uh, clearly. Uh, I mentioned already that um, we use SAP extensively in our test sales uh, with the blends. And perhaps you have noticed that I gave you the regulation in Europe, which will be close to 10% by 2030. You must understand that for Safran in our test sales, we are already between 30 and 40 percent, and we will be at 50 percent in 2025. So basically, there we clearly lead by example, and we apply to ourselves what we try to basically have the industry follow follow what we are doing in that direction. What we had for the past two years is having a lot of demo. We have the one in South Asia, but we also did that in North America and in Europe. In fact, we started in Europe because of the regulation, to be clear, because it gave a good, I would say, framework for everybody to work. The SAP was available, which was not the case in Southeast Asia until now, I would say. So that gives the pace of what we are doing. Um, but what we are doing in the three continents, basically, is up to 50%, which basically everybody can, can, can use today. It's certified. You, you have no... Uh, no-brainer no uh, to that is, is to have as many as demonstration as possible, basically, to, to set the momentum. Uh, then we also have some research and technology on the SAF, and we talked about the 100%. And so there we are working, because if we can tell you today, as Valérie mentioned, uh, that you can fly no-brainer up to 50%, it's because we did, we did the job 10, 15 years ago. So what we are doing now, we are doing the job so that in five years from now, 
It's a no-brainer if you want to run with 100% of staff in your helicopter. So we are running tests. We especially had that on the Makila engine. I don't know if that made a lot of coverage in Southeast Asia, but uh, last fall, uh, 21, we ran uh, the first helicopter engine with 100% staff, uh, manufacturer from Loose Cooking Oil. Uh, and then we flew on an Airbus 225 with the Makila engine, first on one engine. The second engine was still fed with a... Uh, Still uh, fed with um, uh, conventional aviation fuel with Jet A1, and last May we flew on the two engines once again to demonstrate that we are working, we are ahead, so that we make sure that within a few years from now you can run with 20, 40, 50 percent, but also at 60, 80, 100 percent of staff. Perfect moment to end it. So I'd like to thank you both for joining us. But before I do, I thought it was very fitting that the energy saving in your building kicked out, kicked in and, and turned <laughs> off the lights uh, whilst we were talking. Leading I thought it was very fitting. Leading by your comfort. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was great. So I'd like to thank you both once again for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Alud. It was a real pleasure. Bye-bye.